But I believe if you live your life to honor someone, to honor people that gave up something for you, people that sacrificed something for you, if you can live your life to honor them and to serve others, you'll get what you need out of life. Hey, everybody. This is Driven By with Sam Coates. On this podcast, you're going to hear people that see a need and they do something about it. You're going to hear what drives them, lessons learned along the way, how they built it, and how things are evolving yet still today. It is great to have you on the show. For more information, go to podcast.sampcoats.com. That's podcast.sampcoats.com and subscribe to our weekly email list and check out my show on Twitter, Instagram, at Sam P. Coates. This show can be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts at Driven By with Sam Coates. If you like the show, please spread the word, tell a friend, and leave a review and check out previously recorded episodes. I hope you have a great day. According to Gallup's 2019 poll, 52% of the USA workers are not engaged or psychologically unattached to their work and company. That means one out of every two people you know put time into their work but not energy and passion. This podcast episode is more than just about one's work and company. It's about all of life as well. I'm privileged to have JP Donnell on my show this week. JP enlisted in the US Navy out of high school and served for 12 years. In 10 of those years, he served as a Navy SEAL. After retiring from the United States Navy, JP worked in business and eventually joined Echelon Front and is now the Director of Experiential Leadership Programs. This episode is a straightforward conversation where we cover finding what moves you forward, the dark times of transitions, getting comfortable with putting in the work alone, losing sight of dreams, the importance of family lessons being passed down through generations, the importance of taking action, and more. For more information on JP, please check him out on every platform at JP Donnell and at echelonfront.com. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hey, everybody. I'll just make this easy. Do you need insurance? Do you want another opinion about your insurance? Just go ahead and call Matt Haga with State Farm. It'll be easy. If you're thinking about it, just do it. We do have listeners to this show from all over the world. So this offers only for listeners in the state of Tennessee and Mississippi in the United States. Matt Haga State Farm offers auto, home, renters, business, and life insurance. Go to MattHaga.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-A-A-G-A.com and contact them. When you contact Matt, tell him I sent you. Now more than ever, it is harder to fly. That's why you need to know of AB Jets. If you want to be efficient with your time and fly with one of the safest private air companies in the world, then you need to use AB Jets. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States with nonstop access to most destinations around the U.S. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S. 
Now we're going to get back to the show. The first thing that I thought about is going back a little bit. I've heard you talk about after you spent 10 years or 13 years in the SEAL teams. So it was just under 12 in the Navy, outside of boot camp and schooling for the Navy and BUDS. It was all in the SEAL team. So just under 12 total in the Navy. 10 of that was actually in the SEAL teams. Yeah. You were in financial services doing sales and you talked about how sometimes on those trips you would knock off a little bit to find some of your SEAL buddies and that camaraderie there. You felt this kind of undercurrent from the way I heard you describe it, that as much as you wanted to try to work hard and do whatever you needed to do to provide for your family, being with your SEAL buddies and doing what you do now is just something that you cared a lot more about than selling financial services. Can you talk any about what that has looked like in your life as you've gone through different seasons, but where you kind of realize certain areas or certain things that you cared about that you were most passionate about and you decided to go all in on that? Yeah. I mean, when I got out of the military, it was, it was a hard transition because being in the SEAL teams is the best job in the world. Like it's the absolute best job in the world. And, you know, it was a job that I wanted to do ever since I was a little kid. And I was able to fulfill that childhood dream. So I think anybody that's out there that goes and actually pursues something that they've been dreaming about, thinking about, desiring since they were a kid, when that chapter of your life changes, it shifts things. You know, it, it's hard to adapt. It's hard to quickly switch your mindset over to this new mission. And that was a struggle that I was having, was finding that new mission, understanding what I needed to be doing now with my life. It, it, it's so easy for us to fall back on what we used to do in the past because that's comforting and we know that. What we don't know is the future. The future is unknown. You know, I mean, look at the elections right now. Everyone's like, oh, it's going to be a landslide. Both sides are saying it's going to be a landslide. And now look what's happening. It's <laughs> like, it's like still like, Everyone's saying it's too close to call, too close to call. And now there's all these like voter fraud things popping up and mysterious large amounts of votes coming in overnight while we're sleeping and, you know, both parties being upset and frustrated. Nobody knew it, that this was going to happen. Now, there's some people that probably thought, okay, this is a possibility. But both sides were like, it's going to be a landslide. And the future is unknown. And that causes people a lot of uncertainty and people aren't comfortable with the unknown. And so when I got out of the military, I was provided an opportunity to do sales at a financial company that when it was broken down, it made a lot of sense to me. So we were at a, it was a financial company that bought account receivables that had a delay to pay. It's called factory. And, you know, and so the guy, I remember I, we were in a sports bar in South Haven, Mississippi, I was training at an MMA gym, getting ready to do a fight. The One of the owners of the company, him and his son, trained at the gym. So that's how I got to know him. And we we're talking about me getting out of the military. And he said, what are you going to do when you get out? I said, I don't know, probably contract, go overseas, shoot pirates. Like that's what team guys do when they get out. Like yeah. you, know, it's just a, you go contract for the most part. And he said, well, you know, I, I own a company. I'm in charge of the sales department. And this is what we do. And he explained it to me, just like I said to you. He's like, you know, we buy account receivables that have a delay to pay. And I think I said, okay, what does that mean? You know, because I've never heard that. I've never been in that realm before. And he said, well, our primary 
client is is truckers because a trucking company they'll go deliver a load to Walmart and they have to wait 60 75 days to get paid because well that the owner of the company they have to fill their trucks with gas they have to pay their drivers and they have to keep going out there so it takes a lot of money he's like so what we do is we take their invoice and we front them 90 to 98% of it up front and then we wait to get paid and then we keep a small percentage off the back end, you know, whatever we negotiate, depending on the volume. He goes, it keeps small to medium and even large companies afloat. It keeps the truckiers out there. It keeps them afloat. And he goes, and it's, it's good business and it's steady. And he broke it down so simple that I was like, man, that makes sense. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. that's pretty cool. And I've always loved truckers because the trucking industry keeps America alive. So I got hired. I got out of the military transition and I was doing that. And, you know, I, I think where I screwed myself was what I didn't do is I didn't mentally shift from the SEAL teams to sales, right? And to being at a financial company, civilian life, you know, sitting in traffic, suit and tie, going to work, cubicle. I mean, you got to talk about polar opposites from what I was doing in the SEAL teams. Uh, it was rough, you know, and that's, you know, I continued training MMA and, and fighting and MMA fights were my stress reliever. And I was doing a lot of, you know, up in the Memphis, Tennessee, South Haven, Mississippi area, you know, I was fighting on those cards and training up there. And, and then when I was on the road, there was times where I would knew I'd be close to somebody that I might know, and I'd have them come meet me out for dinner and drinks. And, you know, there's times where I would stay an extra day on a sale. If, if it was a Friday, I would stay through the weekend, you know, on my own dime, of course. And I'd go see friends from the military to try to connect with them because while the sales guys I worked with were awesome, they're super great guys. The guys I trained MMA with, I was really close with them. They really helped me with my transition out of the military, just having that, that friendship and that camaraderie and that brotherhood again. You know, when you're sweating and training hard with somebody and you're fighting and bleeding and, you know, you're, you're getting, you're literally, you're so exhausted and your buddies are picking you back up and getting you back into that fight to train and you're doing the same for them. There's that hard bond and that hard bond is formed through hard work, doing hard things together, struggling together. And, you know, it's, it's no different for a business out there that's been struggling through this pandemic. And when they come out on the backside, those that stayed with them, those that fought with them, they're going to be the stronger team. They're going to be the ones that are going to have the resiliency to, to fight and push and, and dominate their battle space because they knew what they were able to come through and what they're going to do is going to be no match for that. And that's what I missed from the SEAL teams. That's what I got in the SEAL teams was accountability was drive, was push, was passion, belief, uh, hard work, grit, like all those things that you think about a Navy SEAL, like that's what I got from my guys. And I was thankful that I had that in jiu-jitsu and MMA. And now I have that with my gym here in Texas where I do jiu-jitsu. And it was, it's, it's really helped me with the mental reset because when I fell away from the hard training and being close to people that I knew you know, just wanted the best for me. When, when I would shift away from that, I would really start to struggle. And I was struggling hard and fell off the path big time. And it caused a lot of problems in my marriage, my family and friendships and business and, and everything. Yeah. I kind of jumped out on the gate on that. So my apologies if I didn't warm up well, but 
No, you're good. Jump in the cold water, easing into it doesn't make it better. I know, man, making the best of your time. But I've listened to both of your episodes on Jocko's podcast, your first one that you did, and then the most recent one you did. I remember hearing the stories about you as a child and being dropped off, you know, five acres away from the front of your grandparents' home and going through the woods and watching the Navy SEAL video every morning. But to me, it's meaningful when you talk about your transition from coming out of the SEALs, going into sales, but then having this opportunity to do this consulting with Echelon Front, and you were already doing consulting at that time, around that time. But it's what really drives you to where you're, you know, you're really operating at the highest level that you are. And it was interesting hearing you talk about the difference between the two. And I think a lot of people, specifically people that I know that listen to your stuff, they're just a fan of the work that you're doing. You feel that camaraderie, you feel that confidence to keep pushing, but then there can be, it's like you're not really hitting a hundred percent and something's missing. And it can be a dark, lonely place when you're trying to figure that out. So that's why I started there. You know, when you're, when you're driving to do something and you're pushing hard, you have to be comfortable doing that by yourself because not every, everyone's going to see the same picture that you see. Not everyone's going to believe in the level that you believe in. Now, there are opportunities that you're able to go through stuff with other people and teams and fight together. But if you're truly out there trying to make a mark in the world, there's going to be a lot of solo times that you're just fighting and working hard by yourself. And you have to be comfortable with that. You also have to have the understanding that if other people don't see what you see, that's 100% your fault. Because that means that you haven't casted the vision of your belief onto them so that they understand what you're fighting for. And so that they understand that they actually need to like get in the fight with you and for you and to support you. And, and until you can get them on board with you, you're, you're going to have a lot of solo fights and fighting by yourself sucks, you know, but it's part of it. You have to be comfortable with that. And so the drive has to come from within, but the drive also has to be driven and inspired to serve and help others. For it to truly be great, for you to truly be at a deeper level, you know, that's why going through training to become a Navy SEAL, yes, it was hard. It was very difficult training, but I wasn't doing it for myself. I wasn't doing it so I could be like, I'm a Navy SEAL. I was doing it because I wanted to serve my country. I was doing it because I wanted to go overseas and kill terrorists. That's what I wanted to do. I had a contract to become a Navy SEAL when I went into the Navy and I was in boot camp when 9-11 happened. And so it was just icing on the cake for me for just solidifying that I had chosen the right path, you know? And then when I got out, I was doing sales at a financial company and I had the opportunity to make good money and I was driven because I had to provide for my family. And I believed in the product that we were selling. I believed in it. I believed in the product that we were selling and I believed in our company being able to provide the best service to these trucking companies out there. And that was my convictions. My belief was, was so strong that, I mean, there was times where there was a lot of times and a lot of weeks on weeks on weeks. And like some of one of the investors, I remember this guy named Bill Luckadoo, who is uh, an investor in the company and an advisor and some of the other owners, they, they noticed that I was always the first one there and always the last one to leave. And 
I didn't have to be there that early and I didn't have to stay that late. But I had a fire within me to provide for my family and to, to serve my, my clients unlike anything else. And so when you can find something that provides that to you, bro, stand by because it's going to be fun and it's awesome. But it goes back to what I just said. There's going to be a lot of solo hours. There's a lot of times I was in those offices by myself. There's a lot of times I was at home working by myself while the wife and kids were asleep. And then when I left that company to start my own consulting company, it was just me. <laughs> and so now I'm back to fighting solo, trying to provide training and, and to law enforcement and, and to do consulting to different companies, to their sales teams and their management teams. And then I started Never Settle Consulting and then started Never Settle Apparel because that just naturally started to grow because people wanted the shirts and hats that I provided out at the shooting training. And then now all of a sudden I had like international orders coming through and I'm literally trying to figure out how to link shipping stuff and payment stuff to a website. And I, you know, found some guys that had some knowledge in, in that background and they were able to really help me out, which was awesome. But it, it's just crazy. It's just crazy how things kind of ebb and flow. They go back and forth. And, you know, that's why it's really difficult for people to find balance is because there's times where you have, you actually have to be out of balance in certain areas to allow your focus to be in the right areas that are going to drive you as an individual and drive your organization. But there's a reason why Jacqueline Leif wrote the dichotomy to leadership. And there's a reason why we do individual balance assessments with our clients is because if you're off balance for too long, that's a bad thing. And we should constantly be striving to find balance. And so I was starting to find balance and then things kind of went the wrong way on a couple of different things that I was doing. And I was fortunate to be in a position where Jocko and Leif were growing Echelon Front and actually starting to turn down gigs because they're too busy because of the success that they were having when they wrote Extreme Ownership. They wrote Extreme Ownership a year later. They're having their first major event and they're, you know, it's to the point where Jocko's like, hey, might need to bring somebody on board. Come on, you know, come out and see what we're doing. And if somebody wants to hear that story, go listen to Jocko Podcast 46. And then Jocko Podcast 246. So we don't really have to dive into it here. But it was, again, another opportunity for me to get on board with something that I believed. And even though I was doing my own thing, I was able to at least detach from my emotions and say, you know what? I can provide a better impact with Jocko and Leif. I can actually serve more people and create a better thing working with Jocko and Leif. And I also knew that Jocko and Leif would always have my back, that they would all that they would never screw me over, that I I didn't have to worry or be in fear of, oh, am I gonna get paid? Am I gonna get screwed over? You know, are they gonna lie to me? You know, if things get bad, are they gonna hide it from me? No, I had no fears on any of those things. So it was it was an opportunity for me to go out and thrive again and to get behind something that I truly believed in that I could run full board with. And it's been four years. It's been four years since they brought me on board. And it, you know, they brought me on board as the first leadership instructor at Echelon Front. And I've had the opportunity to grow with them and build out the company with them as a leadership instructor. And then now also the director of experiential leadership training, where it's all of our hands-on leadership training that we provide. So the, the opportunities are out there. You just 
you have to be listening. You have to be willing to act and move. And that's the thing with Jocko and Leif. I had another opportunity paying good money. And my wife and I were in a, a bad place financially. So that short term was very enticing, but I knew the long term play, the best thing strategically that I could do for my family was go all in with Jocko and Leif. And I did. And you have to be able to act. You know, and that's the biggest thing that holds people back is when they fail to act, when they fail to make a decision. Yeah. There's a few things that you just said that I'd like to circle back on, but you gave two things. You said, one, your ability to have solo time by yourself if you're going to go after something and how to deal with that and how to make the most of that and embrace it. And then the second thing is, it's your fault if someone else doesn't see what you're locked in on or what you're, what you're really trying to pursue. I mean, it, so if I have a vision of what I want to do, let's say I want to start a business and I go to my wife, I tell her what I want to do, why I want to do it, how I'm going to do it. And if she doesn't understand and buy into that belief, that's 100% my fault. It's 100% my fault because I didn't communicate to her in a proper fashion. And it goes back to business and just life in general. Communication is key to everything that we do. And so if you have a team member that isn't doing their job, that's your fault, 100%. Because you failed to communicate to them what they need to be doing and why. And you also failed to understand how they were going to go execute that. Now, if you can give them ownership over coming up with the how, like if Sam, if you were to say, hey, JP, what we need to be doing is providing security for these army soldiers while they're building these combat outposts. And the reason why we need to is because there's a bunch of enemy fighters in the area that have been attacking them. How do you want to do it? And I'm going to sit there and talk through them and say, okay, so we need to be providing security because these enemy fighters are attacking them. All right, I'm a sniper. I have a good amount of snipers. Hey, I think we should set up sniper overwatches in a perimeter supporting them. So we'll, we'll set up multiple overwatch positions with overlapping fields of fire, and we can actually secure the area and lock it down from insurgent fighters. And I now have ownership over that plan. Yeah. You told me what I needed to do and why. You didn't dictate how I did it. You allowed me to come up with the how. So you communicated to me in a very simple, clear, and concise manner, and it allowed me to think. You have to teach people how to think, not what to think. And the problem is a lot of people try to dictate their thoughts and their beliefs on other people. You have to give them ownership over that. You have to give them the ability to interpret it and understand it. And if somebody on your team doesn't buy into what you're doing, it doesn't believe in the mission, that's 100% your fault. And if you continue to alter your communication and you talk through things with them and you get readbacks from them and you go back and forth and they still don't buy in, it's still your fault. And it's your fault that they're still on the team. And so you also have to take ownership of eliminating people from units, organizations, and teams that don't believe, don't buy in, and aren't a part of the winning team. Got it. Something that you just also talked about a few minutes ago, and I've heard this talked about through your organization, talk about high ground a lot, taking the high ground. And I think anybody that listens to the information, reads the books, content that y'all put out, I think if you're being honest, you think about times in your life where you did not take the high ground or 
you stopped early. And there's obviously psychological terms for dwelling on certain things negatively more than others. But I'm curious to get very specific. I had a company and I sold it, me personally. And, you know, there's a lot of things that went well and there's a lot of things that went great. There's times in my life where I know that I didn't communicate clearly before I demoted somebody. Or there's times in my life where I did not communicate clearly the status of things before I made some layoffs. And so when I think about the terminology high ground, there are a lot of times where it's like you take that high ground, you don't bend, you know, or you bend, you don't break, et cetera. But then there's times in your life where you, where you just jacked it up and you know it. And we haven't talked about this yet, but I've heard you talk about your faith personally. You know, I feel forgiveness and freedom from those mistakes or from those things. But sometimes it's easy when you think in terms of a meritocracy, the things that you've done wrong and but then how not to apply those for the future and own kind of what you need to own, but then keep rocking and really try to think through that and act differently next time. So I'm curious, when you think about high ground, how have you come to think about doing the right thing, digging down deep, but areas that you didn't, quote unquote, have high ground? How have you learned how to be at peace with that or own that? Well, I mean, we're all going to make mistakes. No one is free from sin and no one is free from mistakes. And that's one of the things that when we are putting guys through training, we would have to remind ourselves and remind the other instructors when we're being super hard on a new guy, it's like, hey, when you were a new guy, you weren't as good as you think you are right now. It's our job to teach these guys and get them up to speed. And we have to alter and change how we teach, how we speak, how we communicate to get them up to speed. When you're an instructor, there's a major burden. Like your job is to get people to the level that they need to be, not just talk and teach one way. And if they don't get it, they don't get it. No, that's not how, that's not how it works. And if you look at that from a standpoint of like you as an individual and as a leader, you need to alter your communication so that everyone on your team understands it so that you can actually connect to everyone on your team. Now you're going to make mistakes, Sam. You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. The thing that we have to be conscious is, are we learning from our mistakes? If we continue to make the same mistakes over and over and over, then yes, we're failing. We're failing ourselves. We're failing our teams. We're failing our community, this nation, you know, and depending on what your business is and, you know, internationally as well. And so you as a leader have to, I have to actually do some honest self-assessments of yourself and of your team. We would do debriefs after every single mission that we ran, where we would evaluate what was good, what was bad, any major lessons learned that we needed to pass on to other people. And, you know, the simplest way for a debrief is to run just like that, you know, that you don't need to make it towards another meeting, because if it's another meeting to have a meeting, then guys are going to be turned off by it. But if they understand and believe in the culture of assessments, of debriefs and learning and changing ways to progress and get better, then yeah, they're going to be a little more bought in when you're doing them. And then you have to give ownership to those debriefs as well, to all the different team members. So this week, I'm going to run the debrief. And next week, Sam's going to run the debrief. And the week after that, Cody's going to run the debrief. They're going to be in charge of diving back through that mission or through the week or through the workday that we're talking about and keeping the team on track and trying to keep guys organized and talking and, and just working together. So if you can debrief your life 
as a leader, you can learn from your life. And when we learn from anything, it allows us to not make those same mistakes. I've touched the oven before on like purpose, red oven, boom. You know what? Not doing that one again. I did that as a kid, right? And our oven was hot. And my wife's like, hey, kids, the oven's hot. Don't touch. And they get close. She's like, hey, don't touch it. I said, it's hot, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, let them. My wife's like, no. I'm like, let them. Because they won't do it again. And there's no way that the little E is going to damage their life. They're going to learn from that mistake. Now, if it was a situation where something was going to fall on top of my kid and smash her face in the red hot oven, then yeah, we're going to stop that situation from happening. But if my kid wants to touch the oven after we said, don't touch the oven, it's going to burn you. Don't touch it. Your skin could swell up and boil up. It could even peel off. Don't touch it. If they're like, I still want to touch it. I'm going to let my kid touch it because guess what? They will never do again on purpose. Touch the oven. They're not going to touch the oven. And when we make mistakes, like my dad was a chef and I would cook with him a lot. And so I'd be getting stuff in and out of the ovens. Guess what? Sometimes I would touch the oven with my forearm. At the beginning, I would do it a lot. I'm always like, oh, shit. (laughs) Guess what I'm conscious of now? My forearm touching the oven. And so you have to think about the mistakes that you're making and dissect them and come up with a plan going forward as to why you're not going to do that again. And so that's what it is, man, is just, yes, you're going to make mistakes, own your mistakes, but it's not just the problems, but you own the solutions. You have to dive deep into this is what I'm going to do to ensure that it never happens again. Was there a point in your life where did you ever have a hard time moving on from past experiences, mistakes, or have you always kind of lived with that ownership and forward mindset? It's a blend of both. You know, there's been times that things I'm a little more emotional about, it's harder to let those things go because we're, we're, we are emotional people. We're tied into things. That's the way God created us. We are emotional. And that's a good thing because emotions are a great thing because it allows us to, to laugh and cry and have empathy and be angry and frustrated and all, all the things, all the emotions that we have are great. They're designed that way. But what you also have to have is control over your emotions. And that's one thing that my parents taught me. They're like, hey, God's not a puppeteer. He gives us the free will to make decisions. He gives us all of our emotions for us to control. The key word is for us to control. I guess I should say the key phrase is there, for us to control. And you have to take control of your emotions. You have to take control of your life. And there are things that you're going to be tied into. But I don't think being tied into something is always a bad thing. Because I mean, in front of me is all my brothers that have died. On this wall, I have pictures of every one of them. Roommates, best friends. You know, this bracelet has 13 names on it of my close friends that I've laid to rest. Am I emotionally connected to that? Absolutely. But that emotional connection drives me. That's what pushes me hard. That's what pushes me to have success. That's what pushes me to live my life so that I can honor them. And so being emotionally connected to something isn't always a bad thing. God created us to be that way. Use it the right way. So, you know, you have to find balance. This goes back to the balance thing, right? If I'm so emotionally overwhelmed by all those guys, I would drink myself until I pass out every night. 
And there was times that I did that to try to numb what I felt inside. But guess what that got me? Absolutely nothing. It got me a hangover and feeling like crap for a, a long time. And so you, you have to find that balance. You know, if, if my thought, and this is what I share with people all the time, is if you can live your life to honor them, you'll find success. And it might not be blatant out in the open, like, oh, this is what I need to do. This is my success. But I believe if you live your life to honor someone, to honor people that gave up something for you, people that sacrificed something for you, if you can live your life to honor them and to serve others, you'll get what you need out of life. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet card. It gets you 10 or 25 hour flight options that makes your experience hassle-free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers and is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the U.S. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S to travel on your own terms. You just talked about your parents, but I remember I heard you talk about before, I guess you got in a fight in high school right before you were going to join the Navy. Yeah. And your dad took you or you went in the bathtub, soaked your cast. Yeah, I got in a fight. I ended up with a cast. I got in a fight at a party. My dad was frustrated with me, obviously. You know, he didn't want me to go down that route, just partying and fighting and, and whatnot. And, you know, he's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? You know, college, what, what do you want to do? And, you know, for me, college wasn't the next step. I knew that. And there's nothing wrong with going to college. I mean, like you just knew that, like, I didn't want to go. I had no desire. I, I had no desire to go because I had no, like, this is what I want to go to college for. And I mean, yeah, I was young and immature, but I, at least I was smart enough and mature enough to say, hey, people go to college and waste time and money with like, and nothing comes from it at times, right? Like people go to, you know, they get degrees or they don't get degrees. Like they literally like, there's people that just waste their time. And I saw that and I just, I was like, man, I just don't have a desire to go that route right now. And so one of my best friends was a whitewater rafting guide up in Northern California. And I was like, yeah, that seems pretty cool. <laughs> what, what river? What river? The um, North Fork of the American River that comes down. Okay. I was a guide on the Klamath River for a summer, which is by the Rogue. Okay. Okay. So you know how if you go up 50 from Sacramento to yeah. Lake Tahoe, the, the rivers that run down that way through Fosterville and everything. Yeah, that's what my buddy guided. That's awesome, man. That's yeah, so, cool. so he was always camping and out on the river. And I'm like, yeah, it seems pretty legit. And I was like, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. Yeah. Like, yeah, no. He's like, why don't, why don't you go in the military? Like, what about the military? Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay. 
I hadn't really thought of it for a while. You know, in high school, you kind of lose sight of those childhood dreams. And, you know, you're being told, like, by all your teachers, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. You know, ugh. And which I, that's a whole other topic that I, we could talk about. I just don't think is right. Um, right. But I go to, I go to work at this pizza place called Steve's pizza, <laughs> and, uh, real good place. Their breadsticks were ridiculous. <laughs> uh, and so I, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a work break and I'm like, you know, I'm going to go talk to the recruiting office. There's a recruiting office across the street. Uh, we'd always been going in there as kids to get like the posters of the Navy SEALs and Marines and everything to hang in our garage and our bedroom. And I, uh, you know, I go and I walk in and, you know, they're trying to be all hard asses and intimidating. And they're like, oh, you know, this is before 9-11. So there wasn't this big need to push. And, uh, you know, they asked me what I wanted to do. And I you know, said, I want to be a Navy SEAL, you know, want to get some information because I want to be a, a Navy SEAL. And they all started laughing. And I was like, I mean, I was pissed. Like I was super pissed. But, you know, at the same time, it was like, at that time, I was like a hundred and 30, 35 pounds, maybe had like puka shell necklaces on <laughs> blonde hair. I mean, yeah, I'm sure I looked like the ideal candidate <laughs> for the SEAL teams. And, uh, I just remember this old senior chief was sitting in the corner and he said, you know, two things, young man, the, uh, the Navy SEAL wannabe recruiter won't be back until Thursday. This was a Tuesday that I was there. He said, so if you want to go in, if you want to come back in two days, how about it? And he goes, the other thing, the Navy's not going to touch you with that cast on your hand. So until that cast comes off, we can't start the process. I said, okay, charge that. Get my information, walking back across the street, and I am fuming. Like they're laughing at me, the whole Navy SEAL wannabe thing. I was like, ooh, I was pissed. You know, I'm at work and I'm thinking about everything that I thought I knew about the military and I thought I knew about the SEAL teams. And you know, I had aunts and uncles that were in the military and cousins that were in the military. So I'm, you know, just thinking about all these things, grandparents that served in World War II, Korean War, Vietnam War. And I'm just like, that's what I'm going to do. I just decided, right? I'm sitting at the counter and I decided that's what I'm going to do. And I went home and I told my dad that, and I said, hey, I want to join the Navy. Uh, they can't do anything with my cast in my hand. He said, okay, when do you want to leave? I was like, as soon as possible. He's like, okay. And so he tells me to go in the bathroom and start soaking my cast in some warm water. And he goes out the garage and gets some tools and comes back in. It was actually like tin snips or sears uh, for cutting tin uh, for roofing and other stuff. And uh, <laughs> we cut my cast off. And I uh, walked back in the recruiting office two days later. I mean, my hand was so jacked up. You know, I only had that cast on for like 11 days, I think. You know, and I had broken this bone, fractured my wrist and this knuckle. And I couldn't even like hold a pen to like sign my name. And so that summer I worked construction for my dad. And uh, at the beginning, we had to actually take my kickboxing hand wraps, like wrap my hand really nice and tight. And then I'd grab the hammer and then he would like duct tape it into my grip. And that's how I'd like hammer and work and like, like clawing stuff out of the walls. And that's how I had to work for my old man for eight, 10, 12 hours a day at time. And it was a hard summer of work working for him, but he pushed me hard and he pushed me mentally and physically my limits. And he helped prepare me to become an Navy SEAL, which was incredible. I would love to hear you talk about the things that you've learned from your mom and dad that you and your wife are going to teach and live by with your own children. Because it seems just from what you've shared that your mother and your father were very 
unified to generally how things were going to go, but your dad pushed you, but he knew you and he loved you, but he knew it mattered what you wanted. And then he was going to use his life to get you where you needed to be. And then also too, that your mother was going to kind of allow the process to unravel in the direction that you wanted it to go and just kind of deal with their own fear of kind of the choices that you're making as well. And so I'm curious, A, is that true? And B, as a father now, how do you think about your own children and how you and your wife are doing that? Uh, that's a that's a really good question. I've never had that before. I, I like it. So my both my parents understood hard work. That's all they've ever known. My My dad's dad was an old farmer from Nebraska that had his mom my great-grandmother signed an age waiver so that he could join the Navy during World War II at the age of like 16 or 17 years old. You know, and so, you know, that's all he knew. He did his time in the Navy, got out, ended up out in California. And, you know, he wanted to go to Florida. His, his friend wanted to go to California that they got out of the Navy with. They flipped the coin and he ended up out in California. <laughs> uh, and then he did construction his whole life. And so, he worked so freaking hard his whole life and he passed that on to my dad and my grandmother was the same way. And my mom's dad was a pilot in the army air corps. So that was before the air force was formed. And so he flew in world war two. He flew in the Korean war. He flew in Vietnam and, you know, and then after he retired from the military, he continued to serve our country working for some other organizations, doing some pretty cool stuff. And he's always worked hard. He always worked his way up. Now, there's a difference of education between the two. Just, you know, poor farmer from Nebraska, enlists in the Navy. Navy gets out, does construction his whole life. And then my mom's dad, you know, college and officer. And, you know, there's a lot of, gets his master's degree and is teaching math and all this other stuff at universities on the side, you know, just that's what he liked to do. And so there's two different things, but guess what? Hard work was the base of both of those. Discipline was the base of both of those. Not once did I ever see either one of my grandfathers not shaving. They shaved every single day because that, you know, they had haircuts until the day they both died that were like clean and professional looking. The only time either one of them wore dirty shoes or dirty clothes was when they were working on the property. Other than that, they'd get done, they would change out. <laughs> and if they're hanging out in the house, they were in nice clothes, nice shoes. They're, they're very professional and disciplined in everything that they did. I remember I'd go hang out with my grandparents, my dad's dad, because they lived in Northern California. My mom's mom, uh, her parents lived in New Mexico. So we Living in Northern California, we saw my dad's parents more. And every time we'd go and hang out with them, if my parents were dropping us off or if we're having dinner, my grandfather would say, take off your jacket and stay a while <laughs> because you didn't sit at the dinner table with your jacket on. You didn't do that. You know, you also didn't sit at the dinner table with a hat on. That was not going to happen. And so there was just this level of discipline that was instilled into both of my parents. And when my parents met, they were both super poor, like, Poor, 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 for uh, United States standards. Now, when you're talking the world, no, they weren't poor. But United States standards, yeah, pretty poor. And they, you know, they were both were having, you know, they were both working hard. They're in kind of some bad positions. 
And, you know, they started dating, started talking, they eloped, they got married. And, you know, my dad was doing construction and was working a job and left that job. And, you know, she, you know, started providing, uh, started to help my dad out. And then, you know, my mom gets pregnant with me and, you know, now she's like, okay, I got to take care of, you know, now it's the role shifted towards, she was like, Hey, I'm a mom. I'm, you know, taking care of the household and had myself and then my brother and my sister, you know, we had all three kids and diapers at many for a long time. And then when my mom could work, she started working. And during this time, my dad was doing construction and cooking. He would cook at night, construction during the day to try to make ends meet for our family. That's insane. Anybody that knows that's work construction, when you're going hard from six to six, man, you can't move at night. That's not saying much to a Navy SEAL, but just to average. No, no. But what you're saying is true. So I want you to think about that. Yeah, you're working hard. And this back then, it was rough. They were doing piece work. You got paid by what you did, not by the hour. Jeez. So the harder you work, that's what you got paid. And yeah, piece work back in the day was, was really rough on guys. And so, you know, my dad would go six to six, like you're saying, come home for like an hour or two to see my, my mom and us kids. And then maybe he had three hours at home sometimes. And then he'd go work at a restaurant at night and was working in the kitchen, worked his way up. And then he would do that until one, two in the morning, come home, get a couple hours sleep and then go to work. It's insane. Hey, I know. And there's times where he'd be coughing up blood because he was, had pneumonia and he was sick and he still would have to go out and friend because if he didn't work, we didn't get paid. And, you know, and then my mom started teaching aerobics and step aerobics and doing personal training because she loved that. Well, there's times that she would get us kids up at like three thirty four in the morning, get us ready for the school day. We would go to the gym with her. We would go into the nursery that wasn't open and we would sleep there while she would teach classes, wake us up, bring us to school, go back to the gym, teach classes all the way until she had to pick us up, pick us up, bring us back to the gym. We would work on our homework and schoolwork at the gym while she was teaching classes. And then she would say, all right, we need to get home to have dinner ready for your dad. We would go home. She would clean the house, get dinner ready for my dad. My dad would come home, eat dinner. We would have a little bit of family time and then he'd go back to work. It's insane. It's just, so it's, it's a work ethic of you can make, and this is where I got the, the thought of when I said this is you can make excuses or you can make things happen. You can't do both. And my parents had the, I'm going to win at all costs. I'm going to fight no matter what I am. You know, I'm reading uh, about face by Colonel David Hackworth. I'm reading it right now as well. Yeah. And it's like, there's, you know, I just think about there's times that, these commanders told the men, hold the ground at all costs, no retreat. And I think about that, and that's my parents. They held the ground, no retreat, no, no excuses. And so you, know, you, have to, you have to instill that into yourself, into your family, into your team. And if you are going to do that as an individual and your team, your family is not on board, you're going to have some problems. How have you learned to think about that with your faith? Like, for example, for me personally, my parents love me very much. There were some hard times financially. There were some times where you just, you're really concerned. I was about school, tuition, yeah. surviving, et cetera. And it wasn't extreme, but it was enough to where if I didn't do it, it wasn't going to happen. But I'm just, I'm trying to say it's not as extreme as other people and stuff they've had to battle out. And I don't even know that you would agree with this. So I'm not asking you to. I'm just curious to know your thoughts. But in my own faith, with my relationship with God, 
there's a peace that I, I feel when I know I've got to go 100% and I know that I'm just not going to make excuses, but I also know that a God actually really loves me and that really is in control and that really is powerful and has a plan on my life. And I feel like when I started to really understand that and believe that and actually have faith in God, to some degree, it felt like it took the pressure off. 100% agree with you. And that's the thing that I'm very fortunate is my parents had faith unlike anything else as well. Like they had a strong faith. Every Wednesday night we were at church. Every Sunday we were at church. Any church events, we were there at church. You know, we served at our church. Anything that we could do to help serve and, and give back, that's what we were doing. And I really think, I, I know, I know that that helped my parents push through those hard times. And that faith helped me push those hard times as well. And those hard times of combat, God was there every single time. Man, I hear you. Shifting gears a little bit, thinking about your work with Echelon Front. When you think over the last four years and you think about the work you're doing now and what you're kind of planning for for the next, let's say, five, when you're traveling around the country or even with it being you know, less with COVID, but prior to that, and but still talking, meeting with people and still traveling now, what are the top two to three things that you see organizations and also individuals that are really struggling with or they're stuck by? And what are the things that you see most commonly when people kind of face them and they deal with it, then they kind of get to the other side and it's not, I would imagine stuff just doesn't go away, but they're not stuck and they, and they kind of have more momentum. Is there any patterns or trends that you've seen? I mean, patterns and trends, I'd actually have to like really dive into all the clients that I've worked with. But as you were asking that question, the number one thing that popped into my mind is ego. We say humility is the most important characteristic of a leader. You have to be able to check your ego. And a lot of individuals have a hard time checking their ego. They have a hard time showing humility. And, you know, we'll have companies bring us in and they're like, hey, if my team would just take ownership, things would be better. So if you could make sure you work on that with them, that'd be great. And we're like, okay. Which is the wrong attitude because extreme ownership is all about you as an individual. And so we'll get done with the training and a good measure that I know that we did well with our training is if I have a boss of a company that says that to me and if they're a part of the training, and at the, at the end, they come up to me and go, you know what? It's not about them. It's actually about me. Then I know we've, we've done a good job with the training. And so just shifting people's mindsets to the, it's not about them. It's about you. Like that's the biggest hurdle. And if you can overcome that, ooh, stand by, bro. Because <laughs> things shift and change, you know, and that's how you kind of start to make a culture change. And something tied into that is cover and move. Cover and move is the first law of combat that we teach at Echelon Front. And cover and move is teamwork. And so when you have a hard time showing humility and checking your ego, you, you're going to have a really hard time building relationships. And without relationships, cover and move doesn't work. Because if I don't have a relationship, and if I'm not having humility, why am I going to step up to help somebody else out? And every company out there, unless you're by yourself, solo, every company requires cover and move. It requires teamwork to be successful. And so you have to put others above yourself so that you guys can all win 
together. There has to be a common goal that you're all working towards. And if we understand why it's important to hit that common goal, then if I see somebody else struggling, I'm going to do everything I can to help them because if they don't hit it, then that's a failure on our part as well. I mean, there's a lot more than three, two to three, but the third one I would add to that is communication being way too confusing. You know, a second law of combat is simple. There is a reason why it goes cover, move, simple, prioritize and execute and decentralized command. They all feed into each other. And individuals that have a hard time simplifying the plan cause way too much confusion for their teams. And so they, A, they don't understand the priorities. They don't understand the mission. People interpret your mission, your message the wrong way. And then when that happens, decentralized command never works because nobody is able to step up and lead because they don't know what to do. So when individuals fail to communicate in a proper way, it just causes problems. How hard was it for you to learn how to communicate clearly or was it hard? Yeah, it was difficult because I grew up with a speech impediment and uh, I was in speech therapy all throughout school. And so I was really insecure about my ability to communicate. So to overcompensate, I always felt like I had to add all this information so that people could know what I knew and then they would understand it. In reality, that's it's just a bad thing, right? It's just so you just have to really focus on simplifying your communication. Now, the cool thing about the relationships that I have with all the team members at Echelon Front is we give each other constructive criticism constantly. Uh, and so there's been plenty of times where Jamie is like, hey, JP, you just need to simplify that message to the team. Like what you're trying to communicate, just simplify it down to a few bullet points. And I'm like, okay, check. Thank you. And I don't, I don't get upset. I don't get frustrated. I don't try to de- defend what I'm doing. I'm just like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, I guess they don't need the three-page email. I can put it down to three bullet points. We'll be good. And so that was always a problem for me. But I've over time, because I was aware of my shortcomings, like you're saying, hey, we've all had problems. We've all made mistakes. We didn't take the high ground when we should have. Okay, learn from it. So the next time you recognize there's high ground to be taken, go take it. Yeah. Man, it it seems like you're in a completely different place from the way you've talked and kind of where you were four to five years. One of the things that I felt like that I was just kind of blown away by, you were working for Marco's Pizza. Yeah. When, I guess, around you were doing your consulting company four to five years ago, and now you know, you're working with organizations, you're teaching experiential learning around the country, other parts of the world, maybe, I don't know. But when you think about the path in your own life, and you think about where you're at now, and what you're looking at for the next five years, what are things that you've learned or thought about how to really keep putting one foot in front of the other, and keep grinding it out from going from seasons of working construction, delivering pizza, to then being paid to speak and travel the country and work with organizations, et cetera. How could you talk about that or how could you touch on that in a way where somebody, let's say this, listen, this episode, they know generally where they want to go or they know what they need to do and they're just going to take action. But you got to go through some downs if you're going to get to where you want to go. So yes, we're all going to go through some downtimes. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have drastic downtimes to, to go do something great. You know, some people just have 
larger downtimes, harder downtimes, longer downtimes. Uh, and everyone's like, oh, it makes the comeback story even better. Yeah, that's cool. But why? Why stay? You know, don't don't try to suffer on purpose just to create some story for when you come back up. Like, get out of there, man. Get get going. Get back up where you need to be. Uh, and I think the biggest thing that holds people back, Sam, is they fail to take action because so many people are programmed to sit back and allow those problems to solve themselves. And guess what? It never happens. If you look at what we talk about, prioritize and execute. You know, prioritize and execute is about solving problems and, and working through things and, and acting. You know, Dave Burke talks about the OODA loop, which is a decision-making process that was created by a fighter pilot back, I want to say the 60s or 70s. John Boyd. Yep, John Boyd. And so he talks about the OODA loop and, and how that helps us make decisions. And a lot of people just fail to make decisions and act because they, they didn't come up with a good plan. It, you know, maybe you need to go somewhere for the weekend out in the middle of nowhere, no distractions, just your computer or a notebook and where you're able to just dive into like what you want to do with your life. What are you, what's, what's your plan? What's going to get you moving forward? And once you can figure out what's going to get you moving forward, you need to kind of line it out and, and design a plan. Look at all the buildings that we have. Do people just go out there and start building? Do they just start like putting stuff together? No. no, they actually have to have plans. And now, so that buildings are safe, those plans have to be approved. They have to be signed off on. And so why do we not do that for our own lives? Why do we not take the time to design a plan? Why do we not you know, consult with others? Why do we not find mentors that can help us design a plan? Like I, can, I have an idea of what I want to do for a custom home, but guess what? I can't design that. I don't have that skill set. But one of my best friends, one of my close friends, Josh Inge, he's a really good architect. And guess who I'm going to have design my custom house? Him. I'm going to pay him to do it because he has that skill set. I can give him my ideas and he can help map it out. And so what people need to do is put their ideas on paper, try to formulate a plan, reverse engineer it, say, hey, this is where I want to be. In order for me to get there, I have to hit this, this, and this. Okay, well, how do I hit the first milestone? Break that down. Okay, what do I have to do each day to get me within that week? What's a, how many weeks need to get me to that month, that month, you know? And so people fail to, to do this and they're not planning. And action is great, but if you just act without a plan, you're wasting time and energy. So take the time on the front end to come up with a, with a plan, make a decision that's not emotional so that you can actually go out there and execute. And then you need to, Stop yourself along the path to check your progress to make sure it's aligned with you obtaining those goals. You launched your own consulting company four, five, six years ago. Yeah. And in that season, you worked at Marco's Pizza and you were working construction. You got the opportunities to join the organization that you're at now. And from everything that I've heard you say, you know, you're running full bore. Oh, yeah. You took action and you started moving in that direction. And I know it's so common for people just to not take action the way you described it. So what's an example maybe of like the next five years, the way that you're taking action, you're moving something forward. You know, it might not be directly like on the bullseye where it's going to end up, but you know that you're moving forward and you know that eventually you're going to get there to some degree. So two that come to mind right away is one building out a team of 
instructors that can run multiple field training exercises at once, yeah, it's great. I can run field training exercises unlike anybody else out there. But if I don't duplicate that, I'm actually failing echelon front. And so right now I'm working on building out a team of instructors and building out a plan and SOPs and all these things where if I don't, if I'm not a part of an FTX, it can still be super successful. And that's key. And what that requires is, is you to check your ego. Is for me to actually be able to check my ego and say, I don't need to be involved for this to be successful. And that kind of sucks, right? Because yeah. you want to be a part of it. But then if you detach from that and you think about it, you're like, that's kind of cool. Because if you're able to help build a team, it's not about you, but it's all about you. That's the thing that we fail to recognize is as leaders, you have to understand that it's not about you, but it's all about you. It's all on you. And so for me, building a team that can go out there and execute, it's not about me. It's about what they're doing. But it's all on me to get them to that level as a leader. So that's what I'm doing is getting it to where we can, I mean, the goal is for Echelon Front to be running multiple FTXs at once across different locations in the nation. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's going to happen. That's, it's going to happen. The other is um, we will be building out an Echelon Front training facility where people will come to us for training. Nice. We will have our own training facility that's going to, you know, have all different types of training. And, you know, and then helping build out our Echelon Front certification program where somebody can go through our online leadership training programs. You know, we have a program called EF Online. It's EFonline.com. E is in Echo, F is in Front, online.com. I'll put it in the notes. Yeah, and, and somebody can go to that. They can get signed up. It's $24 a first month and then $13 a month. <laughs> and it gives you, yeah, it's ridiculous. It gives you access to all of our material, all of our online material. We have video trainings. You can take tests at the end. Uh, you progress along with the foundational courses that we're redoing. And it gives people access every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to a one hour live training with Jocko Leif and the rest of the Echelon Front team. Dang. It's ridiculous, right? And so when we get done recording, that's I have to make a call and prepare. And Jocko and I are, are, are leading uh, the training today about it's not what you preach, it's what you tolerate. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And it's live for people to ask Q&A and interact. And that's the thing is people get access to Jocko and Leif three times a week to work through problems. And... We also have a part of the program, it's called the Brigade, but it gives you access to our community. So all the members, like, so let's say, Sam, you had an account, let's say you sign up today and, you know, something happens with your company or your, your team or your family or whatever, something happens on Thursday. So you get on there and like, hey, you know what, having a really hard time working through this. You post it on there. All the members have access to help you solve that problem. Think about that, bro. That's crazy. It's like a combo of Facebook and LinkedIn, but for people that are all focused about leadership, personal development, based around extreme ownership. So then now you're going to have like five people chime in and say, hey, you know what, Sam? I've been doing this for the last 30 years. This is how I work through this problem. And then Jocko and Leif, myself and the other instructors, we get on there as well. And then we add responses and type, dude, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, man, good community that can acknowledge, but also build you up and encourage you to stay on it. That's the power of technology for an incredibly low amount of money. You can have access to that and it scales out and there's a huge network of it. 
Yeah, it's crazy. So, so those are the top three things that we're that I'm working on. And when I put that down on paper, because we had a strategy session a few weeks ago for the whole team, like when I put my numbers goal and presented to Jocko and Leif, I was like, mm, a little nervous because there are some pretty lofty goals. Like even I, I presented to one of the other team members before I put it out to the group, and they're like, we're, "Oh, really? Oh, hmm, that's a." Uh, it's pretty high. I said, yeah, I know. And I did that because I think about that every day now because that number is high. And every day I don't do something to work towards that goal, it's going to make it even harder. And I don't want to be embarrassed with Jocko and Leif. And so I did that to hold myself accountable. I think that's what a lot of people fail to do. They fail to set goals strong enough and high enough that they don't really have to drive that hard to hit them because they get comfortable. They get complacent. And you actually have to declare war on complacency every single day. And if you can declare war on complacency, if you can align your goals, have a plan and decide that you're going to take massive action, you'll, you'll achieve those goals and you'll achieve success in any aspect of your life. And this doesn't have to be a financial thing. This could be something where you're trying to improve a relationship with your spouse or your kids or a coworker or a business partner or a vendor. Like set those goals, come up with a plan, decide you're going to take action and then commit. Commit to yourself and commit to everybody else that needs you to be successful. Man, I hear you going back to those lonely times of what you talked about earlier, just being alone and not having community during different seasons, but to just get after it, regardless of how you're feeling or regardless of where you're at. We can wrap up, but I got to tell you, I see it. It was so powerful hearing you talk about marriage and hearing you talk about being married to another alpha and getting divorced, but then getting back together. I talked to my wife the other night at length about it, just a lot of the things that we do with each other where we have strife, it's over just the petty stuff that doesn't matter. And it was so powerful hearing you talk about you being so honest, then getting divorced, realizing you still love each other, and then understanding that the issues were issues and things about things that really didn't matter. And man, that was just meaningful and impactful because I feel like just married to another alpha as well. If I can check my ego, if I can look for ways to to do generous things on a daily basis. If I can try to think about how to serve her and love her, man, that was just powerful. I appreciate it. And that, uh, you know, it makes me feel good about sharing that story. I'm always weary of doing podcasts just because I'm kind of like, dude, who am I for anybody to listen to? And why would anybody want to listen? Like, I, I just always want to make sure I'm doing it for the right reasons. And, you know, you sharing that, it, it makes me feel good because, the first thing that you said was what my answer was going to be. You said, if I can check my ego. You know why we allow little things to matter? Is our ego. It's 100% our ego. There's no other reason to it. It's our ego. So if we can be aware of our ego, we can actually fight and combat our ego and allow our ego to drive us in the right way and for us to stifle it when it's getting in the way of our success. Man, I'm glad you post. I'm glad you've gotten more aggressive and getting stuff out. I think we all struggle. It doesn't matter where you're at. Everybody struggles with, or a lot of people not wanting to do it for the wrong reasons and be who am I, but man, I'm fired up and I'm grateful. Thanks for carving out time this morning. Thank you so much, Sam, for having me as a guest. I look forward to uh, 
hopefully in the in the future being back on and we can kind of dive into some deeper different stuff uh if you want and then you know if anybody's out there listening to this and you're not so subscribed make sure you subscribe to sam's podcast like it comment share it with other people uh if you guys want to reach out to me on social media i am at jp Donnell on all platforms J P D I N N E L L. And just check out echelonfront.com for everything that we do with Echelon Front. So, like, I appreciate everyone that's out there listening, sharing. And it's cool to see things continue to grow. Also, the other thing that I've been trying to share more is what we are all doing at Echelon Front with OriginMain.com. So, Origin is an amazing American-based company that's bringing manufacturing back to America Uh, And with that, we have the Jocko Fuel brand, which is all of Jocko's products, which are good, healthy products for you. It's crazy. I actually have a signature energy drink with them called Sniper. It's really good, man. Dude, Vitamin Shop is running low. Uh, I don't hear in Memphis. I went yesterday and they were out. We're working through some different vendors in different locations. We'll be spreading out. But, you know, if you go to Origin, Maine, Maine, like the state. So O-R-I-G-I-N. M-A-I-N-E.com. You can see all the stuff that they're doing. If you order anything, if you use the code American Made, it saves you 10%. They're just doing some awesome stuff. And it's cool to be associated with them and you know, to see Jocko, obviously everything he's done with them, and Dave Burke's signature flavor, afterburner orange. It's so good, bro. It's so good. But yeah, hey, I look forward to seeing you when I'm back out there for sure, man. We'll have to look up. I'd love to hang. Thank you so much, dude. Have a great day. Thank you, bud. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you like the show, please rate it and leave a review. Also, I have a weekly newsletter that comes out each week with the new episode, show notes, and more. You can sign up for this newsletter at podcast.sampcoats.com. Have a great day.